Welcome to Luxury News Weekly, your number one source for luxury news. I'm your host, Simba Wakatama. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Solaru. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Luxury News Weekly. We have exciting news all the way from the toils within Gucci and Lady Gaga involved involved in that. <laughs> and Clubhouse and IWC, very unlikely partnership. So let's take a look. Our first story here is uh, Lady Gaga. Okay, so she is involved in a movie that's coming up called House of Gucci. And essentially, the movie takes a look uh, into the chronicles of Regina, or sorry, Reggiani, uh, who is the former wife of uh, one of the Gucci brothers. And it tells the story of how she essentially uh, got her husband killed. It's uh, quite an interesting story, but uh, without summarizing that anymore, Elizabeth, have you taken a look at this new trailer? Yeah, it's absolutely fabulous. I mean, Lady Gaga, she is incredible, or from the little I can see. Um, the trailer, I believe this is the second trailer that has been released. And the movie itself is directed by Ridley Scott, who we know to be an absolute genius. And the cast is amazing. We've got Al Pacino, who is a firm, firm favorite. He portrays, um, I mean, any kind of genre. This guy is, you know, he's the daddy. He's incredible. We've also got um, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons, he is in, an incredible um, English actor. Plays really, really posh parts. Um, but he comes from a really, really humble background. And of course, we've got Jared Leto, who is incredible. A beautiful musician and a beautiful man to look at, I must say. And we've also <laughs> got <laughs> and we've also got Salma Hayek. I love Salma Hayek. Apart from being utterly, utterly gorgeous with a, with an amazing figure, um, she actually collects like animals, as in she has a literally a menagerie in her house of animals. I mean, she has an owl that literally stands on her head. Um, anywhere wow. she goes. Yeah, I know, right? So I, for me, this is an amazing cast. And for Lady Gaga to be able to hold her own is absolutely amazing. It's, and this film, from what, from what I understand, comes out on the 24th of November. So I definitely will be seeing this one. What about you? Yes, I'm excited to see this movie because I've known about this story. But a lot of people don't know uh, about this story. And it's essentially when Patrizia Reggiani married one of the Gucci brothers. She married um, uh, Maurizio Gucci, right? There was a lot of family drama between the brothers, the father, and, uh, and outside companies that wanted to take over Gucci. And she kind of had this, um, let's say, a taste for the finer things in life. And that's what attracted her into the Gucci family. But she kind of wanted it all for herself. And uh, she hired a hitman to uh, murder her husband. And I, I forget the exact details. Of course, we want to watch the movie to remember. But I think it was so she could inherit some of that Gucci um, 
Gucci Wealth, uh, his ownership stake in Gucci, but I'm not quite sure. But down the line, the company, the Gucci company, and I don't think the um, movie is going to necessarily touch on this, it was taken over by private investors because it was so mismanaged by the Gucci family that it, they were running it into the ground and uh, it was quite the problem. So they ended up, uh, you know, getting privately owned outside of the family and now Gucci is what it is today. So that's kind of... Uh, the overarching story, but you really got to watch this movie um, to see the actual um, history of Gucci. Now, the interesting thing about this, it's a very, um, it's a very, let's just say, uh, not great story, right? In the sense of if you're a brand, you don't want this, you don't want this to be your staple movie, your, your debut film. But, I think Gucci's really embracing its history here. And I think they're going to be using Gucci clothing, Gucci stores, Gucci everything. So I'm excited to see the um, costume for this movie. I think it's going to be really nice to look at. Oh, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, the fashion is going to be utterly incredible. I think that obviously with any other brand, especially a legacy brand like Gucci, You've got the good, the bad, and the ugly. And also, I think people are far less judgmental nowadays than they probably would have been many, many years ago. They're far less judgmental on certain things, but on certain things, they're actually maybe a bit more judgmental. But I think what we probably will get are maybe some of the reasonings and the emotions behind... Um, why Patricia did what she did, because they were already divorced. They got divorced in 1995, and she got someone to shoot her husband um, on the steps outside his office as he arrived for work. And apparently, um, the day he was killed, Patricia wrote a single word in her diary. Um, she wrote the word paradise in Greek apparently. So she was then accused, um, in 19, two years later, she was accused of um, hiring a hitman. She was arrested. I think she was sent to jail for like 29 years or thereabouts for arranging. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But she then asked for her conviction to be overturned, claiming that a brain tumor affected her personality um, in the year 2000, of course, an appeals court upheld um, the conviction, but they reduced the sentence to 26 years. Again, lots of drama. She tried to kill herself and all that, you know. But yeah, bottom line is, um, at the end of the day, she was released in October 2016 after serving 18 years so oh, wow. this, I know, right? So this is drama upon drama upon drama. Upon drama. <laughs> so yeah, this, I think for me, um, if Ridley Scott is involved, oh my goodness, you know, the, the, the uh, photography, the, you know, the, the videography, everything is going to be so lush. And I hope they make, because we want to see fashion. We want to see drama. And um, Lady Gaga has been actively studying the mannerisms, uh, the cadence, the tone, everything of Patricia. So, yeah. Yeah, and from the trailer, she is doing a phenomenal job. 
phenomenal. Right? Yeah. I'm surprised personally. I'm kind of not because even from her music videos, um, Lady Gaga has always been um, drama, drama, drama. Um, she's quite theatrical. Um, she gives a thousand and one percent. I love her collaborations, whether she collaborates with Tony Bennett or Beyonce or Ariana Grande, the costumes, the makeup, the drama, the dance, the singing. So if she's that, you know, involved in that much detail in her music, that will definitely transfer to the big screen. Yes, it might be a risk casting her, but I am pretty sure she will deliver. I definitely think she will deliver just from what we've seen. Oh, well, we'll keep an eye on this. I know I'm going to be seeing the movie. Now, speaking of drama, 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 what if I told you about $300,000 worth of wine was stolen from a restaurant? Quite, a, quite an amazing sum, <laughs> right? I, I know, right? Okay, so here's the scoop. All right. A Spanish restaurant, a high-end restaurant, uh, just got robbed by two thieves. Uh, now, this restaurant, I believe, is in a hotel in Spain. And these two thieves, a couple, pretended to be uh, refined guests. And they went to the front desk. And they asked the front desk, uh, they checked in, you know, to the hotel, then went to the front desk, asked the front desk uh, clerk to go get something for them. And then when he wasn't monitoring the cameras, they slipped into the cellar and stole 295,000 pounds worth of wine. And what makes this uh, even worse is not the amount of money. The wine was insured, but it's the rarity of the bottles themselves. And so they went, they went back into the hotel. They stayed there after they stole the wine. And then they checked out early the next day. Uh, so no one even noticed. These were apparently professionals. Now, this is like something out of a movie. <laughs> right? I know, right? I know. It's, um, you know, when you watch these um, movies about grifters, you know, going in, um, or con men, you know, con women going in and... Um, but I think this is what I think. Obviously, it has to be an inside job. They knew um, they had obviously studied the hotel. They may have studied all the camera angles to know. Plus, it says in the story that they actually checked out very, very early hours of the morning, as in really, really early hours. So, um, you know, so they obviously sneaked in their luggage, you know, all these bottles and they knew that very early hours of the morning, no, you know, not many people will be awake. You'll only have a very skeletal night staff, if that makes sense. So nobody will be really, really paying attention. However, this is the day of, you know, day and age of technology. So I would suspect that obviously, unless they disguised their appearance, I mean, you know, there must be cameras all over the hotel to capture exactly who they are. You know, they're obviously yeah. pretending. Yeah. So they are obviously a couple. They are English speaking. Apparently, um, somebody would have noticed if they have an accent, whether it's English or American or Spanish or Italian or French, even though they were speaking English. So that would, you know, although you can fake an accent nowadays, you can, you know, there's a lot you can do. So. 
I suspect, and also they must have come in some sort of, I don't know if they came by taxi or by car. Again, um, you can trace that. So there's a lot, you know, that can be done. Uh, did they, you know, when they checked out in the morning, did they leave by taxi? So those are some of the questions I would ask anyway. And this is really intriguing because it brings out my, you know, inner Miss Marple, Hercule Poirot, because I'm kind of thinking it has to be an inside job. It really has to be. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, because they knew exactly where, you know, okay, yes, you can find your way to the cellar. But to find your way to a, the exact location of this expensive bottle of wine, come on. So there's something fishy going on there. Yeah, you know, um, the first thing I was thinking, even though I don't want to um, necessarily uh, accuse the restauranteurs, the restaurant owners of anything, um, it just smells like insurance fraud. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't want to say that either, but that's why I kind of said, I, you know, inside job. But then again, but it might not be the owners. It might be, um, you know, might be members of staff. It might be suppliers, contractors. It might be the winemakers. And remember, it could also be a really loyal client who keeps coming to the restaurant. Because remember, when, when it comes to um, collecting wine, People are very, very passionate about their wine, and if you yes. have a and if you have a private collector who wants to complete his set, you know he could very well hire somebody to do that for him. So, and you know, uh, you know, we've um, done rooms and we've done podcasts on um, spirits, you know, being some of the most valuable investments in in the luxury space. I know that the wine market, the bottom tanked um, out of the wine market around 2011, and then it kind of recovered. So yeah. this, this to me is, you know, it's showing that, you know, 10 years later, the market has obviously recovered enough for people to want to invest again, because offloading this bottle um, in the marketplace is going to be a bit tricky unless you have a specific customer in mind. That's true. And, you know, the wine seller's market, let's say, is very discreet because when you're sourcing very rare wines, oftentimes only the restaurants can get them. Private collectors can't even get them because the restaurants have the best uh, relationships, right? And this is a two Michelin-starred restaurant, so they definitely value themselves for their wine collection. And it serves to be true. But yeah, I, you know, the thing is, right? I'm not saying this is the case, but this is Luxury News Weekly. And we are a news commentary podcast. So we're going to give you what we actually think. Now, here's what I would do if I was trying to do insurance fraud in this situation. I would get the people to steal the wine. That's step number one. Because we just came out of a pandemic and restaurants are suffering. And then I'd sell the wine again anyways. So I'd make twice the amount of money for the same amount of wine. And you'd have a, a lot of money now and then a little bit later. And that's kind of uh, an easy way to go about it. Well, there's nothing easy about this, but if you're going to go that far, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I kind of think that um, nowadays, you know, when it comes to fraud, insurers are very, very smart um, they would investigate. There's obviously the initial investigation, 
However, behind the scenes, when you think they've gone away, they may even make a show of giving you a check. And you may think, yep, yeah, I'm safe now. I've got my money. They might come back 10 years later to catch you. So, you know, they need to be really, if, you know, if, if it is, and I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but if there's some sort of, you know, inside job, I think they need to be really, really careful because the days of um, insurers just letting go are quite over. So, yeah, let's watch this space because it's an interesting story. The police is involved. Um, they said there's an investigation, but they declined to offer more details. So, yes, let's see what happens. And I'm pretty sure I'll keep an eye on it to make sure that we, we bring the part two, part three or whatever um, to Luxury News Weekly. Amazing. Yes, we'll keep an eye on that. We are interrupting this episode to tell you a little bit about the people behind Luxury News Weekly. I'm your host, Simba Wakatama, the founder and CEO of Volo Bespoke. We personalize jewelry storage for the jewelry you wear. Find me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Simba Wakatama. I'm Elizabeth Solaru, founder and CEO of Luxury Business Emporium and Elizabeth's Cake Emporium. You can find me on LinkedIn as Elizabeth Solaru or on Instagram as Luxury Business Emporium. Now, into the world of business, we see Hermes revenue jumping 31.5% in the third quarter. And that is attributing to Asia remaining strong in this, um, in this time of, you know, post-pandemic uh, recovery. So I think Hermes has made some very critical good moves during this pandemic. One was limiting their supply of everything from watches to uh, luxury bags. And uh, another thing was releasing new product, interesting product and innovative product. So we saw they launched their um, collection of nail supplies. Uh, so nail polish, um, you know, uh, all kinds of things to to give yourself a, a pedicure, manicure, whatever you like. And uh, they also released a bunch of leather goods to accompany that, uh, as well as some new products in other spaces. And let's not forget, also during the pandemic, they um, they collaborated with Apple for the uh, Apple AirTag, I believe it's called. Um, yes, for the luggage. Yes, I remember yes, that. Yes, yes. So they've been busy. Uh, Hermes has been really busy and they've been doing some really uh, interesting and cool collaborations. But essentially, they created uh, a bunch of innovative watches, which some we liked, some we didn't like. But, you know, it is what it is. The point is they did it. I think all that kind of all these really good moves added up to them having a really good recovery. Oh, absolutely, because um, it's 40% above their pre-pandemic 2019 levels, which is fantastic. And as we know, Hermes is a jewel in the crown brand uh, for the big group. So this must be really, really, really pleasing um, to the finance chief um, of the group, because at the end of the day, um, the pandemic really did affect um, some brands. But what we see in the luxury space is that some, while some brands really, really suffered, others actually held steady. 
and they held steady because they kept investing in marketing, in collaborating, in really, really innovative thinking. Uh, we also spoke about Amez um, doing the mushroom leather. We've spoken yes. about them. Yeah, we've spoken about them doing really, really cool stuff, you know, really cool collaborations. And I think we all, even the nail polish um, was fantastic. You know, the colors that they used were very, very rich, jewel-like colors, very opulent. So well done to Hermes. There was a bit of concern um, that, you know, they might lose out a little bit in the um, China uh, market, but, appa but apparently um, it actually worked out a lot better um, for them. And then they said they got new clientele um, by doing online sales as well. So online, people buy online, but it also apparently acts as a double thing to get people going into the store. So well done, Hermes. Well done to them. And I do remember when they invested in changing their website. Because if you went onto the Hermes website, and I'm sure people listening are going to laugh if they did this. If you went onto the Hermes website uh, back in the day, I went on there and I thought it was a fake website. I thought it was a scam site. <laughs> I, I, I did not believe that the, the number one luxury company in the world had a website that looked like it was made on MySpace or something. It was ridiculous. And now they've invested to keep it within the brand, but, you know, still give it that, uh, uh, that uh, modern take. So good for them. We're looking into it. We're going to watch them. I love Hermes. Um, so there you go. Hermes, if you're listening, sponsor this podcast, okay? Yay, do so, Hermes. I love it. Um, you know, just a little bit, you know, bragging rights. You know, the Hermes store in Paris, which is the, you know, apparently of all the Hermeses, it's the most um, prestigious ones. I've actually been part of a private tour before it before it opened. Um, when I went to Paris a few years ago, I went for a conference. Ooh. I went for a conference and uh, Michael himself, um, he is the Mr. Hermes um, on Instagram. He actually took us around the store and spoke so knowledgeably and affectionately about the brand. I learned so much about Hermes. But the best thing, and this is how shallow I am, was, you know, when we left, um, just before the store opened, um, there was a massive queue of people outside, really nicely dressed up rich people. And my poor self was able to swan past them because I got <laughs> something that they didn't have. So there, that's yeah. my shallow story. <laughs> you know... We need more of those. <laughs> we need more of these stories. That's amazing. That is amazing. Now, speaking of something you wish you would have had, okay? This is kind of, everyone dreams that they'll win the lottery, even people that don't play the lottery, right? This person won the lottery, okay? They bought a stone at a flea market, and it turned out to be a 34-carat diamond worth $2.7 million. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you believe this? Okay. I'm sure the stone is too big to think it's real if it's, like, dirty, right? So I think that was the case in, the, in, this, uh, in this matter. So apparently uh, the gem is about the size of a $1 coin, <laughs> and it belongs to a woman 
in her 70s, living in northern England. Uh, and this was uh, picked up by BBC. So the person obviously remains anonymous. No one wants to let you know they just, you know, inherited a crown jewel here. It is a massive, a massive stone. It doesn't look real, right? Absolutely. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, this is like something out of a, a book, isn't it? You know, if you were like writing like a, a fictional story around jewels or something like that, this is the kind of story that you would write. And apparently when she got it, um, well, she didn't, even she didn't even remember where she got it from, number one. And then she nearly threw it away. Um, it was actually her neighbor that said to her, why don't you get it valued before, you know, throwing it away? Because you must have bought it for a reason. So, yeah. So she then came, you know, went to a jeweler's uh, with a bag of jewelry. So she thought, you know, might as well bring this in as well. And um, the auctioneer, you know, it'd been, it'd been in a box along with her wedding bag and a number of low value costume jewelry. So they had a look at it. Um, she thought it might be cubic zirconia maybe worth around $3,000 or thereabouts. And then, yeah, um, they actually found it was a diamond and everything like that. And on the technical side of things, and I'm pretty sure you know more about this than I do, seeing as you make, um, you know, a jewelry, you know, a, a displays for high-end jewelry, um, the color, the clarity, and the size for a 34 karat diamond, they said is off the scale. Yes, it's it's actually, you see, the issue is getting the size that big. I mean, this is the size of like two fingers, right? So getting the size that big while still being um, high uh, quality, like really clear color, right? And the cut is very good as well. Uh, and the fact that this thing was kind of neglected for how many years? Who knows? Um, it could have been chipped. Anything could have happened. And yet uh, it's in perfect. It's in good shape. So it's uh, actually an H color VS1 diamond. All right. So what does that mean? The VS stands for very slightly included. It's talking about kind of particles and perfections. Um, and VVS would be very, very slightly included. So this is uh, VS um, is a good diamond, of course, uh, but VVS is now uh, better. So, ah. right, but VS1 and VS2 contain a small number of inclusions. So you can only see them under a 10x magnification. So it's still going to be clear to the eye, um, but depending on how you cut it, you'll be able to see the imperfections or not see the imperfections. So the cut becomes very important for reflecting that light and and kind of hiding those um, imperfections. Uh, so you can kind of make a diamond seem more brilliant if it's expertly cut. That's very, very useful information indeed, because now I understand why they talk about clarity and cut. It makes absolute sense now because I think there's the four C's of diamonds. I think they say carrot, clarity, cut, and something else. So now it makes sense. Carrot, clarity, cut, and color. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, the diamond colors are just the letters. Um, 
So it doesn't, the letter doesn't necessarily um, mean the first letter of the actual color. It's, it's a color scale. Um, and they just use letters. It's very confusing. But I, they just convoluted so that you have to go to an appraiser and, you know, the appraiser will tell you and get paid for it. So, Well, I don't blame them. If they want to shroud things in mystery, I don't really blame them because obviously this is someone's um, profession. They train for years. So why should a pleb like me easily understand? So, <laughs> But nowadays, <laughs> but nowadays, thank God for the internet. You can easily Google um, stuff nowadays. But yeah, I, I completely get that. 100%. Okay, so... Now, our last story for today is a very interesting collaboration, of course, more dear to our hearts because it involves Clubhouse. So, IWC, very famous watch brand and very prestigious, in, in fact, um, they are teaming up with a Clubhouse influencer to bring a six-week series of discussions on Clubhouse. I have been a part of those very snobby watch rooms in Clubhouse. They are some of the most annoying rooms <laughs> of the most opinionated people who can't even make a single gear, let alone a watch, and they're telling you how to think about a watch, right? From a creator standpoint, I'm a creator, and this is just my humble opinion. But the biggest gatekeepers oftentimes are the consumer that can't even do the thing. The actual creators are very open and they love to, to include people in their creations, right? So I'm happy to see that IWC is taking it into their own hands to actually talk with uh, Abraxas Higgins. Abraxas, yes. yes His so, name is Abraxas, yes. Okay, I didn't want to mess that up. So... <laughs> Brother Abraxas <laughs> is going to be leading this discussion on Clubhouse. And I'm excited um, to hear about it. You know, I, I really want to see what they have to say. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, um, there's a reason this particular story interests me because Abraxas did in the very, very early days of Clubhouse. I remember last year around... Um, December, I started hearing about Clubhouse on Twitter, and he was very much uh, mentioned by almost everyone I knew, because he would literally walk you through Clubhouse. If you DM'd him, he will respond. And he brought so many people into Clubhouse. So he did a lot for Clubhouse to the point where other influencers were actually saying to him, you know, why are you building somebody else's platform and they are not even acknowledging you? So for those of us who joined Clubhouse from the UK, a lot of it was actually down to Abraxas. And he's remained quite faithful. He's a lovely, warm person. Um, I think he used to work in the city. I think he's a bit of a create, you know, a creative himself. Very, and he speaks. And now I could be wrong. I think he speaks Japanese as well. I think he speaks a couple oh, of wow. 
Yeah, he's he's actually um a lot of people call themselves, you know, um multilingual or a polymath, you know, poly, you know, polymath or whatever. He really is a true polymath. So, cuz I did check him out, you know me, I will go and investigate. And he yes, was that, just Yes, that's that head hunter mentality. <laughs> exactly, the head hunter mentality. But I really did. So, and he's always been the, you know, the the same person. He's literally used his platform to promote other people. He will invite you to join him on stage. He does this um, every day, 9 a.m. in London. Um, people just go and chill um, and talk about, you know, like light things, nothing too heavy. So to me, he's always been an amazing soul. So I'm not surprised at all that he's reached out to an amazing luxury brand and um, they've actually said yes to him. Also, um, before... Um, prior to this one, he's actually had Ted Baker um, on Clubhouse before, and they've also oh. spoken. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he's also had um, Ted Baker on Clubhouse before. I know it doesn't compare to us having um, Sotheby's on our platform. Remember, we had. Um, well, is it really a competition at that point? <laughs> no, not really. But at least we did something as well before we decided to, you know, bring it onto our podcast. Yes. At least we had Sotheby's. But my point is that with the kind of influence that Abraxas has, he could easily create his own podcast. He could oh, 100%. Easy, he could easily take people off Clubhouse and have his own thing. But he's remained loyal to Clubhouse because I have lobbied a couple of times for him to be made the face of, you know, the icon, the face of the um, icon of Clubhouse. And um, apparently there's politics, but I'm not going to go into that. But, you know, well done him. I definitely will be tuning in. Um, but if the, you know, if, if people annoy me, I definitely will jump out. But I, yes. hope, <laughs> I, I hope people are there to listen and learn, you know. Yes. And, you know, I had an amazing, amazing conversation in a watch room um, with uh, one of the top people in the industry who uh, worked for uh, Swatch. Um, so he the Swatch group owns a lot of the luxury watch houses. They have stake. Really? It all. Yes. They own a lot. Uh, let's let's find out what they own, shall we? Let's take a little detour. Yeah, let's yeah, let's, yeah, let's take a little tour. Let's take find out what they down, own. Down a little tour down 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 memory lane. Right now, I am looking at a list, and they own Bauman. Yep. Blanc, Blanc Pan. Yep. I'm probably murdering all the names right now. Calvin Klein, <laughs> Certina, Flick Flack. Yeah, and, and let's let's talk about the big hitters here. We've got Omega. They own Omega. Ooh, they own oh, wow. Rado. Oh wow. Own, yeah, Black Pain, you already said, I think. Even Tissot they own. Yes. And then of course Swatch, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and of course Swatch. Um, I don't know if they, do they own Longines? Is that how you pronounce it? Longines? I'm not, I'm not sure actually, but um, they own, now here's the thing though, that's just what they own, not what they have stakes in uh, where they don't have a controlling interest. So if you account for what they actually 
own and what they have stake in. They are in every major uh, company, you wow. know. So, wow. so some some even say Tiffany and Co. Uh, maybe that was pre-acquisition, but um, they are big, big, big hitters. And they also make movements for Tag Heuer, Brightlin, Tudor, and countless others. So they actually make movements for them. Yes, because wow. a lot of these companies can't make their own movements for every single watch. So, uh, you know, uh, Swatch was popular back in the day and that popularity and the scale they were able to build at. It's kind of like Michael Kors. Michael Kors owns a bunch of luxury companies because they just made a lot of money very quickly and they were able to get a lot of uh, uh, institutional um, uh, debt so they can acquire companies, right? Whereas the little guys who, um, you know, they can't make it, they can't sell that many watches in a year or that much product in a year, but it's very high quality. They don't have the leverage to be able to, to buy companies. So that's what ends up happening. IWC, though, um, is not owned by Swatch, I don't believe. No, it doesn't seem like it. Um, I can't find anything. Um, I think their Rich, Richmond Group, I think, owns IWC. Ah. I'm not sure. But I like IWC. They're a Swiss company, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, all the yeah. best ones are. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All the best watchmakers are. Thank you so much for listening to us on the Luxury News Weekly podcast. Find us every single week on every major podcasting platform. These have been your top stories on Luxury News Weekly this week. Firstly, House of Gucci is a film with Lady Gaga and it's dropping this Thanksgiving. Around £300,000 of wine was stolen from a Spanish restaurant. This looks like a crazy job done by professional thieves. Hermes revenue also jumps 31.5% in the third quarter as Asia remains a strong factor in that jump pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic. A stone that was bought in a flea market now sells for around 2.7 million dollars it is a large 34 karat diamond and it is stunning lastly iwc has announced a six-week series with abraxas on clubhouse these have been your top stories for this week